every time Dom comes up here, he sets himself up with his chair. And I said, we should get him one of those. Have you seen those old deacon's chairs? They're really with the high back and the pointy, like Game of Thrones sort of business. No, he won't. I think it'd be nice. But anyway, good to be sharing God's word with you again. To see you all here. And I uh, thank you for your prayers. Uh, the old ticker has gone back into rhythm again which is always good, and uh, we enjoyed a few uh, days away uh, with the family in Bright, which was, a, uh, which was a blessing as well. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, the devil's been uh, having a, a bit of a field day on a number of levels, uh, so I do appreciate your prayers, and I, I, I ask for them continually, okay? So thank you once again. So let's turn to Romans chapter 11 as we look at uh, today's sermon, which is entitled Trusting in the Counsel of God trusting in the counsel of God and we're looking at verses 33 to 36 it's Romans chapter 11 verses 33 to 36 oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who hath known the mind of the Lord, and who hath been his counsellor? For who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory for ever. Amen. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you once again for your blessings upon our lives. We thank you for the blessings of salvation that we enjoy today because of your immense love for us. We thank you that you've brought us together in this place today to worship you, to learn from you, and Father, and to be blessed by your presence among us. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we open our ears and our eyes to your truths, I pray that those truths would transform us to be the people that you would have us to be, that we would live lives that are honouring to you in every possible way. Lord, that we would redeem the time because these days are evil. And Lord, that we would continue to live in that hope that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord whom we look forward to seeing face to face one day when he comes here to take us home to be with him in his name we pray amen in 19 in 15 sorry 97 a fellow called Sir Francis Bacon I wonder where Bacon came from was that did it come from him no he published a work called um, Mediations or Meditations Sacre, which means uh, sacred meditations. This is 1597. And he was the first person to have said to have written the phrase, knowledge is power. Who's heard of that phrase? Knowledge is power. Most people in the world ascribe to that and believe that particular uh, phrase, that knowledge is power. In other words, it's believed that if you have knowledge, you have advantage over other people in this world who don't have knowledge. For example, if you have knowledge of the stock market and how it works and what businesses are operating and how they're going, you can make a good profit, which gives you an advantage. If you're well-educated, you'll get a better job. You've got another advantage. If you know where to buy a home for an investment, you can live in a nice place and then reap the rewards later on, another advantage. And there are plenty of other things you can learn in life that apparently give you advantages in life Apparently, if you know all the details of, uh, of um, political parties' policies, you can vote the right way too. And so on and so on. But where you obtain knowledge can make all the difference. You see, our world's 
had a transformation, had a huge shift over the last 30 years of where we get our information and knowledge. Now, by the way, knowledge is what you know, okay? The information is what you can know, right? So information is the data, the, 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 the things that you can know, and knowledge is what you then obtain, okay? Over the past 30 years, the world has shifted away from paper-based information. So we've turned away from newspapers and books to where the internet okay so we've we've the in, with the shift over the last 30 years has essentially been transformational from the point of view that for the last 2000 years the main places that people went to learn things were books now we're learning most of our information probably 90% plus straight from the internet whoever was rich enough to own the encyclopedia britannica Come on, hands up. Who uh, can chest? What else did you have? Funk and Wagnalls. That's a good Aussie uh, invention there. Any other any other ones that you had? Do you who had the the, the the set of encyclopedias on the shelf? Okay, which are collecting dust and and were really ever opened. But we've moved away from that type of information to now jumping online and looking to Dr. Google to tell us all things about ourselves and the world around us. But knowledge and information can also be wrong. And what we know about um, uh, information and knowledge is that it only takes a little change to make it completely obsolete and wrong. Okay? So the devil, when he shared that information with um, Adam and Eve, and he told them that you know, if you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened. Was he lying? No, their eyes were opened, all right. It was opened, it became open to good and evil, which they had no idea about. But he failed to mention the other side of it, that they would die, and they died spiritually. And so most of the information we obtain today is often tainted with is truth mixed with a lie. And when truth is mixed with a lie, it's like having a... Um, a a semi-trailer is like having a truck with you know those two trailers behind the v, the v doubles whatever they are without the linchpin in the middle sometimes a small thing can make a huge huge difference the internet if you've just never noticed is filled with people trying to sell you information trying to sell you important information that if you have that information it will change your life and give you power and give you freedom Aside from the entertainment factor, pretty much most advertisements on YouTube, Pinterest, Google, and all the other different platforms that are available to us are trying to sell you some form of knowledge, are trying to sell you some information that's going to change your life. What's interesting, though, is that often people are selling you, the millions of people that are trying to sell you this information and how it can transform your life, It's what I find funny is that people can look at the same information and get three or four different viewpoints on the same information going in completely opposite directions. If you ever, if you vote in, uh, in elections, you'll notice the same thing. That political parties can take the same information, the same data, and look at it in completely different ways. Have you ever seen those ads on YouTube that tell you that you can make millions 
simply by spending a few hours, you know, trading <coughs> online. Ever seen those ones? Fantastic, isn't it? I mean, seriously, I mean, all it takes is just a few hours. You could be making tens of thousands of dollars a week on the back of an ocean liner, at the beach. It's amazing how you, know, you can actually, your life can be transformed simply by following their system and obtaining their information. But most of us look at those things and we say, ah, uh, doesn't make sense. It can't be that easy. And life is really ever that easy. If it sounds too good to be true, normally it isn't. But there are still millions of people in this world who will tell you that if you listen to them and that you need to listen to them in order to be free. And life can be very confusing on who you can trust. Because no one out there, and I say no one, no one, doesn't matter how good they are, has perfect knowledge and can tell you exactly what's going on. There is only one who can offer genuine freedom because there is only one in this world who is genuinely free and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is free and he is the only one who can offer you truth, not just knowledge. You see, because knowledge and information can be wrong. It's, it can be tainted. But when Jesus offers you knowledge, it's always truth and perfect truth. And we find that truth in his word and that's why we can trust this book we have in our hands completely. Jesus, the, Jesus tells us in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Who's he talking about? What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. If you know him, you can be made free. To know Jesus is to know truth, not just earthly knowledge and earthly information, but the truth. He is the wellspring of heavenly knowledge and wisdom, which is always perfectly true, but is also applicable to us in this world because it helps us to see the reality of what we're living in the middle of. And thus we come to our first verse, verse 33, where the Apostle Paul is writing and he's just contemplated the amazing salvation that comes from God how he offers salvation to people who are undeserving, such as us. And in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. As one contemplates the depth of God's knowledge and wisdom, it should boggle our minds. It should boggle our finite minds. Can a mortal man understand and grasp the infinite? No. Can a mouse understand the depths of the ocean? No. Can a bird understand space travel? No. You know, they understand the, the limits to where they live. The limits of their understanding is, is, is bounded by what they have between their ears. But there is an incredible upside to having a God with such depth of knowledge and wisdom. And it's this, it's never exhaustible. You can keep on going back and you can keep on getting filled and it never, ever runs out. You can keep on coming back to this wellspring of knowledge and wisdom and never exhausted. 
God is not like some cheap form of entertainment that we pay $10 a month for and then we get bored of it. God is unlimited. The God we serve has such knowledge and wisdom that we doesn't matter how much we dig, how much we want to know more, we can never find the bottom of this thing. It's inexhaustible. So what's the, the knowledge of God like? Well, turn to Psalm 147 with me. So I want to, if I can, inspire you a little bit to appreciate this God who we say that we believe in. Psalm 147, verse 4 and 5. says, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Now, I'm not sure if you understand how many stars are in the universe, but 100 billion stars, I think, in, uh, in our galaxy alone, and you multiply that by... 200 billion galaxies on top of that um, you'll get a start to get an understanding of how many stars there are in the universe and God's named them all he's numbered them and he's named them extraordinary Paul realised the wisdom and the knowledge of God are rich and deep how unsearchable he says are his judgments and his ways past finding out his understanding is infinite the topic of, God, of Paul's wonder and amazement here is seeking to understand the judgments of God, how God makes his decisions, how he rules, how he has authority, how he offered the plan of salvation, how he came to the plan of salvation, how he will defeat the armies of darkness and so on. As the more we dig about God, the more we find that he has. This God who we say is the definition of love, of grace, of mercy, of truth, of forgiveness, of all these characteristics that we ourselves look aspire to and we say, what a beautiful notion grace is, that you would give something to someone who doesn't deserve it. And yet we struggle and fall far, so far short of that every day of our lives. When we speak about this thing called love, and, we, and poets write about that particular uh, topic, and we, hear, we, we read stories about love and we, and we are inspired by actions of love. Um, we look at that and we look at our own lives and we, and we realise how little we understand of it. We get glimpses of it, but we struggle to understand it and we struggle to live it. That's not to mention all the other characteristics of God. He is indeed perfect in every possible way. And so the Apostle Paul, he meditates on these things and he's inspired by these things and he's inspired by this amazing knowledge and wisdom of God. And the, the amazing thing about God, as I've said, is that the, the moment you think you know something about God, the moment you think, I understand his grace, is the moment you'd better sit down and tell yourself, I don't understand his grace. Because you haven't even scratched the surface of it. 
this is the God that we believe in. Do you have this wonder in your life concerning God? Is he inspiring to you? Is he your everything? Is he the one you go to to find depth of meaning for yourself? Because it's only through him and in him can we have meaning in our lives. Do you have a fascination that keeps you drawing to this deep well, this deep ocean of his character? Does his character want to drive you to want to know more of him and to have more of him? This is the another amazing thing about the God that we serve is that he wants to be known by us. He makes himself available to us. He reveals himself to us and he says to us, come, come and drink. You'll never be fit. You'll, you, you can never drink too much of him and he's inexhaustible. Is Christ the favourite topic of your life? Is he your first love today? Because he should be. Because every other information that we have out there, every, every bit of knowledge that you can obtain in this world, if you gathered it all together, and put, it in, and put it into your head and manage to squeeze the whole lot into your head so you were an expert in everything in this world would not amount to anything compared to the knowledge that you have in Christ. And he says to us, not only can you obtain knowledge of him and from him, but you can also have his wisdom too. And you might say, well, what's the difference there, Pastor? What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, knowledge is information that's truth. According to, according to God, the knowledge that we obtain from him is perfectly true, but wisdom is knowing what to do with it. Wisdom is knowing how it should apply to your life and what difference it makes to you. See, a lot of people have a lot of information and knowledge floating around in their heads. It doesn't affect them at all, but they're impervious to it. But the knowledge of God should change us, should help us to grasp the reality of who we are, who God is, and what we are living in. Knowledge is the grasp of some truth, the understanding of a concept. Wisdom is the ability to, to understand not only how that knowledge should affect you as a person, but how you can apply that truth to your life and how you can use that truth to bless others. What to do with it is the most important thing. There are plenty of this in people in this world who have knowledge. Plenty. 99.999% of that knowledge is corrupted knowledge, but they have knowledge. Even Christians. But the vast majority of people lack wisdom. They may have knowledge in their head, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to apply it. They don't know what it means for them and how it should change them as a person. Can I share something with you? To have knowledge without wisdom is a dangerous thing. Because the Bible tells us that we are judged by how much we know. If you have knowledge and you don't apply that knowledge to your life, you'll be judged more harshly than someone who doesn't have knowledge at all. What we do with what we know makes the world of difference. You can know everything in the Bible. 
You can read the Bible from cover to cover and know every word and have it memorised in your head and be the same person that you were before. The Bible is not some magical book of incantations. The Bible is not something that you just read and it changes you automatically. It doesn't work like that. You see, otherwise the parable of the sower wouldn't be true. It's the condition of the heart to receive that word that makes all the difference. Because if the, if the heart is not ready to receive it, if it's stuck in your head but doesn't get into your heart, that word, that knowledge is pointless. And you might say, Pastor, how can that be? The knowledge of the word is, is, is important. Yes, knowledge of the word is very important. But go and tell that to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes who had most of the Old Testament memorised and yet were some of the most evil and wicked people on the, in the world. The ones who tried to conspire to kill Jesus, the author of the word. Knowledge without wisdom is dangerous. Please, if you learn the word of God, learn how to use the word of God. Jesus tells us, actually turn to Luke chapter 11 with me. Luke chapter 11, verse 52. Because knowledge, as the Apostle Paul tells us, can puff up, can actually make you more proud instead of doing the opposite for you. You can know a whole lot of things. And in some cases, it's actually worse for you. Jesus was always telling off the Pharisees, the Sadducees, scribes and lawyers because they were very knowledgeable about the Old Testament but they were frightfully devoid on how it is meant to be used. Instead of leading them to love and mercy, it led them to pride and sinfulness. Luke 11.52 says, Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. Do you get that? The lawyers were the ones who knew the word of God. People would go to them and say, what should I do in this particular situation? How does the word of God apply to this? These were the guys who were meant to have actually known exactly how the word of, of God applied. Instead, these were the guys who actually became proud of their knowledge. And they failed to learn how to apply it to themselves. And Jesus says, you've taken away the key of knowledge. You can have knowledge, but without the grace of God, without the wisdom of God, you cannot use that knowledge. And they weren't. And they weren't going into heaven themselves. They weren't entering into the kingdom of God and they were stopping other people from entering into the kingdom of God. Jesus would often call them out for their lack of wisdom. And the key of knowledge is a requirement that you would humble yourself before God because you need the grace of God to actually apply that word in your life. You can't live the word of God without God. You just can't. God himself is an unlimited treasure store of wisdom. But it would seem that most people in this world are happy to obtain knowledge 
without gaining the heavenly wisdom to live it. You see, it's easier to learn something from a textbook and know it in your head than to live it. Those are two dramatically different things. And this is what I'm, I, I want to get through to you today. You can be sitting here this morning with a wealth of Bible knowledge in your brain. But all that knowledge amounts for nothing if you can't live it, if you don't choose to live it. The gaining of the knowledge of the word of God without the proper use of it can lead to devastating effects. Look at the cults who read the same Bible, who say they believe in the same God, but yet come up with completely different ways of doing that. There are plenty of false teachers in this world who, who go to that same well that we go to. The word of God, remember, we are told in the scriptures like a two-edged sword. Two-edged, which means it cuts both ways. And if you put a two-edged sword in the hands of a foolish and untrained person or a proud person who likes to play around with it to show off, it can lead to great harm. And it all boils down to what type of wisdom that you're, you're about to use. What type of wisdom? Are you going to use the word of God with earthly wisdom? They don't go together. That will lead you to destruction. That will lead you to what the Catholic Church has done over the, over the millennia. Burning heretics at the stake, thinking they're doing something good for God. Go to James chapter 3 with me. As we just pivot around this particular point for a moment, because the question is, what wisdom am I using with the knowledge that I have? So it's important to have the right knowledge, first of all, it's important to have the truth, which most people in this world don't have. But then once you have the truth, the question is really, what do you do with it? And the wisdom that you have, the type of wisdom you have, whether it's earthly or whether it's heavenly, is going to determine what you do with that. Whether you take that sword and go killing people with it, or whether you take that sword and go fighting the devil with it. James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who is a wise man and endured with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, that's a li his life, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, don't be proud, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Did you notice something? The wisdom you have will cause you to use your knowledge in one of two particular ways. And the fruits of how you use that will show up in particular ways. If you use knowledge with earthly 
or devilish wisdom, you'll end up having envy, strife. And bitterness. But if you have the wisdom that comes from above, that truth that you have in your hands and you hold in your head will produce peace, purity, gentleness, an ease of entreatment, mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and it will lead to peace. As I said before, you may be sitting here this morning and say, I've got a whole lot of Bible knowledge, I know a whole lot of stuff, but if your life is characterised by these other things, have a look at these lists that are given in, in, to you, because what they're showing us, what it's indicating to us is what type of wisdom we are using with the knowledge we have knowledge is not enough in and of itself it's the wisdom you have to use that knowledge please be aware of what your knowledge or how you're using your knowledge and how it's impacting your own life and how it's impacting the people around you look at this list examine yourself and see whether the wisdom you're using is from above or from below. Seek that wisdom which comes from above, which always comes with humbleness, with meekness, and always comes by God's grace because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So look at verse 34 of Romans 11 again. Romans chapter 11, verse 34. Because he now says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? God's knowledge is so perfect. Did you know he can't learn anything? <laughs> Ever thought about that? He can't learn anything. You know, it's so different to us because we are learning all the time. We're constantly learning new things. We're constantly adapting our mind, our hearts, our lives to whatever circumstances and new things we learn around us. But God doesn't learn. He knows everything. He doesn't need someone to instruct him or to counsel him and say, God, you know what? Maybe next time, if you did it this way, you might get a better result. Or you know what? You can improve by doing this or that. No, we're the ones that need the counseling. Turn to Isaiah 40, verse 12. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Just a few verses about this God that we serve again. Isaiah 40, 12 says, Who hath measured the waters... In the hollow of his hand. You know, the, the, all the oceans of the world, he can hold in the hollow of his hand. And meted out heaven with a span of his arm. And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. In other words, all the dust and the dirt of the earth, he can just measure it. And he knows every particle in it. 
and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or been his counsellor? Hath taught him. With whom took he counsel? In other words, who did he go to, to, to get counsel from? Who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? No one. That's the answer to that question. No one. There is no being in the universe. In fact, all the beings put together in the universe cannot teach God something new. If we took every person on this planet and if we were all very enlightened and very intelligent people and we all knew the truth and you took every angelic being, put us all together and put us in one big committee. Now, committees are sometimes a bit of a waste of time, by the way. We can't teach God anything new. We can't improve him. There is no being that can teach God anything. So it stands to reason that God can't learn. There is nothing new for God to learn. Nothing outside of his um, foresight that God hasn't already understood. Imagine perfect knowledge, perfect foresight, perfect understanding. You might ask, doesn't God get bored? If you knew everything and you weren't discovering anything new, doesn't God get bored? knowing everything already you know what's beautiful about god that he knows everything but that he desires to share what he has with his creation what brings him pleasure is that he gives of himself and when we take from him when we learn of him and from him he takes great pleasure in that god doesn't learn anything new but he enjoys his creation learning from him. We have this wonderful source of all knowledge and wisdom coupled with this grace, love and mercy for all of eternity to enjoy. So who can counsel God? No one. But we need counselling. We're the ones who need counselling. Which is why the Bible tells us that he has implanted the counsellor within our hearts. You know, sometimes people come to us for counselling. People come to us with problems and they share their burdens with us and, they, and they're looking for some advice we could offer them that's biblical about what they can do with their lives. And that's something that comes part and parcel with the ministry. And I'm sure many of you do a similar thing as well, that you offer advice to people and you offer support in those things where they might be struggling. But the Bible tells us that he's put the one he calls the counsellor in our hearts. So we have him everywhere we go. Maybe God knew we needed a counsellor every day. Every one of us. Someone who could comfort us. Someone who could guide us. Someone who could teach us the truth. We need counselling. Because no one knows the mind of the Lord completely. He says, who, who, who has known the mind of the Lord? Well, no one, no angel, no man. But he knows our hearts. He knows our minds and he knows them perfectly. And that's a great comfort for us. When someone knows you perfectly, I dare say 
if you're married today, okay, if you're ma- here with your partner, with your wife or your husband, does that person know you perfectly? You might say, well, my, my wife knows me perfectly. She knows every mistake I'm going to do before I make it. <laughs> but they can't know you perfectly. They can't know exactly what's going on in your head, what's, what's, what's you hold in your heart. But God does. So when we come to God, we come to the only one who actually understands us perfectly, who can empathise with us, who's sympathetic towards us, who appreciates what we're going through. And so we do ourselves a disservice and we do him a disservice and we go to other people before him because he is the one who knows us perfectly. And so it says here, who can know the mind of God? Well, no one knows the mind of God, but he knows our mind. And no one can give him counsel because he doesn't need any counsel, but he offers us counsel every day. And so in verse 35, he then says, or who hath given to him, first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. There is nothing we can offer to God or give to God that he doesn't already possess that will make him richer than what he is that will give him more glory than what he already has, that will make him better than what he was before. There is nothing I can give God that I have to offer God that will improve him in any possible way. All of my thoughts, all of my works, as good as I think they are, don't add to him. Does he have needs? No. I'm the one who has needs. Can I give him something that he can pay me back for it later? No. We can't add to his glory. We can't add to his perfection. We can't add to a, per, a being who's om, om, omnipresent and omniscient, which means he knows everything. There is nothing that I can tell him that will reveal something new to him that will cause him to have something that he didn't have before. His knowledge of himself is perfect. He knows himself. Have you ever wondered, this is a challenge that we have in our own lives, have you ever done things and then thought to yourself, why did I do that? And we struggle in our minds and we make a mistake and then you, for the next few weeks you're thinking about why did I do something stupid like that? Where did that come from? And sometimes we, we go, we set ourselves on a particular path and then after walking sometime in a particular direction about a particular thing, we think to ourselves, why am I on this path? What caused me to come here? Why am I going in this direction? What's my motive? You see, the problem we have with ourselves is we often even understand ourselves. We struggle to even understand our own motives. But God knows himself perfectly. There is nothing that God has done that he says to himself, oh, what did I do that for? God knows himself perfectly, but he knows us perfectly too. He already knows our motive before we say something or before we do something. He knows that we battle with a fallen nature that is always prone to sin and sin that so easily besets us, as the apostle says. We may spend the rest of our our lives on this earth trying to work out why we are doing things and how we're doing things and which way to go. But we should always remember that God is there with us. There are some 
pastors in this world who you know build these mega churches and they they build themselves beautiful big churches and it's they're lovely to see but the question sometimes remains have they done that for god or have they done that for their own glory you see because pride and 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 uh, boastfulness and envy and jealousy are terrible terrible things that we struggle to understand even within ourselves we are often deceived by our own hearts and the bible teaches that the heart is in fact so deceitful that it deceives you first and then it goes around deceiving other people at the same time and it leads to all types of problems and god's solution for this is himself it's him and the way he helps us to examine ourselves is he's given us this amazing book and he's written in that book a story about himself and what he's like and who he is and what he has done for us and what he offers us and what he promises us and that book the bible says about itself is like a mirror that we look into and god says take a good look at what's there and sometimes we'll read but we don't want to look sometimes it's too hard to see what's in that mirror because the one staring back at you was not the person that you would like staring back it's not the type of person that you think of yourself to be god's solution for us is to take a constant good hard look at ourselves as we reflect in his mirror about what he has to say about us god knows himself perfectly but i'm glad that he knows us perfectly because that gives me peace turn to psalm 139 with me David thought about this particular thing. He meditated on this thought about how perfectly God knows me. And this is one of the, one of the most inspiring um, psalms you can read concerning this particular topic. It says, Psalm 139, verse 1, which Brother Wilbur read for us uh, this morning, O Lord, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, thou hast searched me, and known me thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising thou understandest my thought afar off thou compassed my way and my lying down and unacquainted with all my ways for there is not a word in my tongue but lord but lo o lord thou knowest it altogether thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is high i cannot attain unto it that is the god that we serve a god who takes an interest in the word that's in our tongue the thoughts that are in our that are in our minds that knows when we sit down when we get up where we're going he takes an interest in us because he loves us and david says that this knowledge of god is so lofty he can't understand it why this god would even take an interest in us in this way but this is the god who has revealed himself in the bible and this is the god that we have come to believe in 
As I've said to you before, the word of God is critical for us to examine ourselves truthfully. You can have knowledge, but unless you apply that knowledge to yourself, unless you see that knowledge through his grace, you're only going to start using that knowledge against other people. Think about this. I don't know how many sermons that I've, I've preached in this place, but I know that if I'm preaching a sermon and, and, and it may be that the Lord's given me those words to say for particular people in the church, I don't know who they are, that most of the time those people, when those words should be intended for their own hearts, are thinking, brother so-and-so needs to hear this. Or sister so-and-so, she better be listening to this. And instead of actually hitting the mark, they make a barrier which deflects it to everyone else except for themselves. I know that's truth because it's hard for me to let those arrows fly and hit the mark as well. But the more we do that, the more we rob God. The more we do that, the more we just wasted our time at church. The more we can't be the people God wants us to be. So when the preacher's up here preaching, whether it's me or Alan or anyone else, if you're reading the word and you're looking at it as, the, as, a, as a mirror in front of you, take every word for yourself. There was a man who once said that, I think I shared with you before, that if someone is rude to you, and tells you off about something, automatically your, your back gets up and, you're, you, know, and you, you want to defend yourself. He says, but rather than automatically defending yourself, how about listening to what that person has to say? Because however rude or arrogant they may be toward you, there may be some truth that you need to hear in that. The word of God is never rude. It's never arrogant. It's just truthful. And so let's take it for what it says about us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharp than any two-edged sword, piecing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yes, the word of God can actually reveal our intents and our thoughts to, our, to us. It can open, it can lay us bare, but you will not be laid bare if you do not want to be. You can deflect everything that it says. You can resist everything that it says. It's up to you. And Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. So let's have the ears to hear. Let's have a heart that listens and, and receives. And finally, this verse says in Romans 11.36, I love the way this, this, this verse finishes, for of him... And through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, as we've looked at this topic of God's knowledge and his love and his grace and his wisdom that, we, that he makes available from himself, all the glory should go to him. None of it should come to us. It should cause us to glorify him in everything that we do. Because he is the first cause of all things. He is the reason that we are here. He is the reason that we are alive, that this universe even exists. 
and that there are these beautiful concepts and these notions that we look up to and say, what a lovely thing, honesty, love, patience, all these virtues that we think and we say, what a beautiful things they are. They do, these things do not come from, an, from a, an animals. These things come because God has instilled them within us. Just as Paul and David were overwhelmed with the riches of the knowledge of God, with wonder and amazement, that should cause us to glorify him. Through our speech, through our thoughts, through everything that we do in this world, our lives should glorify him because he is the source of life. God's ultimate knowledge about us and the wisdom to do right should cause us to come to him with confidence. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Matthew 6, verses 6. When you're tempted to worry about what's going on in this world, when elections don't go the way you thought they might go, when you're worried about what decisions they're going to make on your behalf in the future or tomorrow, go to the Lord in prayer because he knows all things. God knows exactly what we need. And in Matthew 6, 6, it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. For when ye pray, use not vain repetitions the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. God already knows what you need. He knows what we need. There is nothing that can come against us tomorrow or the next day or any day after that that God hasn't already seen, that he doesn't already know. And he knows every one of our particular circumstances. He knows our circumstances as a church. He knows everything that we're going through. And there is nothing that takes him by surprise. So when you come to God, open up your heart to him. Share what burdens you have with him, but come to him knowing he already knows what you need. And come to him knowing that he has not just the knowledge of you and everything you need, but the power to give you everything you need. God's knowledge of us is perfect, and he offers us his perfect wisdom as well. So it should cause us to come to him with confidence. God's knowledge and wisdom should encourage also us to seek his kingdom before other kingdoms in this world. See, the kings in this world do not amount to anything. At the end of the day, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar sitting on a throne, or whether it's Darius, or whether it's Nero, or whether it's a Caesar, or whether it's a prime minister in Australia, or whatever land you're living in at whatever particular time, God already knew who was going to be there. And he knew what they were already going to do. And none of them can actually change his plans one iota. There is nothing that they can do to change anything. But it should cause us to not worry about the kingdoms of this world. There are plenty of people who worry about what tomorrow is going to bring. Does it really make any difference? It doesn't. Because these are only earthly considerations. These aren't heavenly so when we understand that God knows everything, sees everything, knows the, the past, present, and the future, the one thing we should be chasing is his kingdom. 
For the Lord tells us in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Be encouraged. Seek God's kingdom first in your own life because the kingdom of God already exists within you. So seek that first and how you would serve him in your life first before every other consideration. And once you had those priorities worked out right, you won't need to worry about anything else. God's perfect knowledge and wisdom about us should cause us to come to him to know ourselves better. That's why, the, that's why David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Go to God. Share your burdens with him, but ask him to reveal more of yourself to you. But most importantly, when you come to God and when you know that he has perfect wisdom and perfect knowledge, it should cause us to come to him for more of him each and every day of our lives. It's him that we need, not more of other things in the world, not more information from this world. We need more of him. We need more of him in our lives, in our thinking, in our hearts, in everything that we do. He is our reason to, for living, our primary reason in life. If you don't know it, is to glorify God. We were created for that very purpose. Put God first. Seek him first. Seek to know him in every way that you can. Know more of him. Be more like him. And let me close with two verses from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. which speak of this particular thing. The Apostle Paul speaks to the Ephesians here. And he says in verse 16 that he ceases not, Ephesians 1.16, he ceases not to give thanks for them, not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let's make him our first priority because he is perfect in every way. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Don.